My name's Jesse. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fathom, and we are so glad you're here. Uh, I know there are some new faces in the house today, and we're just stoked to have you. Um, I just want to give a shout out to my parents. My parents are here. Um, the last time they were here, it was on launch day, and um, so I owe so much to them. Uh, actually, when I was in college, my freshman year, my dad asked me, I was studying something else, and he said, hey, do you ever think you, you uh, maybe would want to be a pastor? And I said, nope. No way, church people are crazy. That's a terrible idea. And I laughed at him to his face, and here I am today. So he gets the last laugh, I think. Um, but just wanted to honor them because they uh, good, good parents. So um, a week after Father's Day, I'm glad they're here. How's everybody doing? We doing good? Yeah? So I had two hands up in the back from somebody. I'm glad. Um, today we are wrapping up our series on James. Uh, we're wrapping up this letter that the brother of Jesus has written to the church, and, and, and we've, we've only been in it for really a few weeks, and we certainly haven't done the whole letter justice, not by any means, but I believe that, that um, we've got to mine out some real gold you know, some real diamonds for our church. I believe we've mined out some serious stuff for us that I think God has used this letter and the themes within this letter to shape us and mold us, to shape us and mold us to to, to look more like Jesus. And I I hope that's been the case for you. I know it's been the case for me. This letter has a, a very familiar letter to me, has had a profound effect on me in ways I didn't think were gonna be, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't expect it. Uh, that's the cool thing about Scripture, things you're kind of used to and you know well. They kind of have a tendency to sneak in and kind of surprise you and show you things that you never really saw before. And so today, as we wrap up with the end of James, as James is writing to the church and ultimately when he's writing to us, um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up on the topic of suffering. Um, and I know that's not an exciting topic to end on. Um, that's like... What a bummer to end a series. You know, no one's like, yes, suffering. Like everyone's, like no one's really stoked on that. Because who wants to talk about suffering? We would, you know, we'd just rather keep the topic as far from our brain as possible. You know, you know we don't want to talk about it until we really find ourselves in the middle of it and we're, we're desperate to get out of it. You know, because as people and humans, like our tendency is to avoid suffering. We, we, we avoid people who are suffering because it reminds us that we have no idea what is around the corner for ourselves. And I, and I think it scares us. And so oftentimes we see people going through pain and we see people suffering. And we just kind of keep our heads down and we, we keep walking on because we're afraid if we stop and that if we enter into their suffering with them, that'll bring out some of our own skeletons and ghosts. And so we just kind of push it away, and we, pr- we pretend that won't happen to us. Like, have, have you guys ever seen something and say, oh, like, have you ever said out loud, like, that will never happen to me? Have you guys ever thought that or said that? You know, it's kind of like a coping mechanism that we have. Like, oh, that's, that wouldn't happen to me, but oftentimes they do. And there's something in us that when we come in contact with others who are suffering and others who are going through hardship, that it reveals things we'd rather just kind of keep hidden. It kind, of, it kind of brings a mirror to us, and it shows us, and it shines a light on us, and it gives us some perspective, and it reveals some things that we really just don't want to see, so we kind of keep suffering at an arm's length. Um, after college, I, I went and did um, some time uh, in a, uh, 
uh, doing, uh, studying um, for a clinical counseling degree in grad school, and I was kind of burnt out on theology, and I thought, okay, I'm going to kind of go in a different direction, and, and so I, I, I entered into this program, and, and to enter into this program, I had to take all these tests, and um, I had to get interviewed over and over again, and personality tests, and just trying to see if... Um, Really, I was mentally and emotionally stable enough to enter into this program because they kept saying, this is such a draining program that this is going to rock you at your foundation. And I just kept thinking, oh, no, I'm good. Like, I'm a solid guy. Like, I, you know, yeah, okay, I I hear you, but I'm going to be fine. Like, this isn't going to affect me. And they're just like, no, really, this, this program's really hard. You, kinda, you kind of get confronted with yourself in ways that you never thought possible. And so in this program, they kind of throw you in the deep and fast, and, and you get clients who are other students, and you're under supervision, and you're in this counseling situation, and, and, and you're required as a student to also go and be in your own counseling. And so as I'm interacting with these people, and I'm hearing their struggles, and I'm, and I'm listening to all these things, something begins to happen inside of me. I start to see things about myself. And I begin to realize, oh my gosh, I'm not as stable as I thought I was. And, and, and so I was, as I was going through my own counseling, like, I remember just thinking, like, oh, this isn't going to help me. And so I remember just kind of like session after session, just kind of coming up with things that, that you know, just, oh, what am I going to talk about today? And I was trying to like make up stuff. And I feel like my counselor was getting so frustrated with me because I was just like keeping them at arm's length. And so about five weeks in, something just happened where I had just been experiencing all these people talking to me about their hardships and their suffering. And there I was in this room and, and just all of a sudden I just broke down. I was just breaking down, and I was in tears, and I was just couldn't understand what was happening, and I I, I just kept apologizing over and over again to the council, and they said, no, 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 this is what we've been waiting for. And so what happened is that I I was entering into other people's suffering, and I was beginning to reveal things about myself that I really wasn't ready to see. And so I think as people, that's what we do, is we just avoid suffering because it's it's, I don't know, it just does something to us, and it just shows something to us, and it shows us that we are not, we're not Superman. You know, has anybody seen Superman in the last week or two? You know, we're not Superman. Things do hurt us, and we do have issues. If you can afford it, everybody should be in counseling. And if you can't afford it, we'll just go out and get coffee and just talk about all our issues, because I have a ton of issues to talk about. So if you want to hang out with me and talk about issues, just hit me up. But we avoid suffering before it's knocking at our front door because it's just too difficult. You know, we just kind of avoid it. It's too difficult because we just really don't know how to handle it sometimes. And so today, as we dive into what James is saying about suffering, we, we, we want to know how to respond to God. And, and we want to know how God responds to us in suffering before it's knocking at our front door. It's time for us to build a foundation of how we respond to suffering. And, and, and so that when we do come into contact with people who are suffering and going through troubles, we don't avoid it because we know what we know to be true. And so today as we dive into James, I think it's really going to help us. And as we dive into this and what he has to say about suffering, I want you to know that this really isn't so much a sermon about suffering as it is a sermon about hope. And and today what I want to do is I want to build a foundation of hope for us so that when suffering and storms and hard times come, we have a firm foundation. But before you roll your eyes, the hope that I'm speaking about, it's it's not a naive hope. It's, It's a very real and alive hope that is present in the rubble of life. 
It's present in the darkest times of life. And, and I, I preach this sermon as a person who knows loss, who knows pain and knows suffering and knows fear and anxiety. And, and, and I know hurt at the deepest levels. And, and as a person who, co- who has come through his own hell, I'm telling you today that there is hope. And this isn't just a naive hope. There is a very real hope. The truth is that suffering will find us, and most oftentimes when we least expect it. And it will come. But whether you find yourself right now in a time of favor, or if you find yourself in the middle of a storm, or you find yourself coming out of a storm, I believe that God has something very real to speak to you today. And I want you to know that no matter where you are in the cycle of life, God is present with you, and he is not surprised by any storm that you may face. He is not surprised by any suffering that you may come in contact with, future or past. Nothing surprises our God. And I need you to know that he is present. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So our main scripture is going to be James 5, 7 through 11. And they'll be up on the screen. You're more than welcome to turn to it. Um, Yes, starting with verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, We count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There there are two key words in this scripture that I kind of want to, that I want to keep popping out to us and that I want to focus in on. And and the words there are their patient and perseverance. And, and And I'll be honest with you. These words on their own, these words... They really hardly offer any condolence or, 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 you know, comfort for anybody who's suffering. Because if somebody's going through, you know, a great trial or a great loss and you walk up to them and say, hey, you just need to have more patience, uh, that person is most likely to want to punch you in your face. So don't do that. And if you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you need more patience or, um, you know, or like, Maybe you should be more like Job. And nobody wants to be compared to Job or put in the same category as Job. Like, nobody wants that. Like, hey, you should be more, pers- you know, you should be more patient or be more like Job, you know? Like, remember Job? Like, hey, it could be worse, you know? And so a lot of people don't, you don't want to hear that. And if, if, if that's what you're saying to your friends, you're a terrible counselor. Like, you're just a terrible counselor. And if you say, hey, you know, I know you're going through a tough time. You just need to kind of, like, persevere, just, like, just get through this. Get over it. Like, they're not going to be your friend for long. And so maybe it seems like James isn't really being a good counselor here, but that he's just saying, just be patient. Just get through this. But, but I don't think James is being brash or insensitive because he shows us how we're able to have patience, and he shows us why we're able to have hope in the midst of this kind of stuff and how we're able to persevere because he sandwiches this letter. He sandwiches this perseverance and this patience in between great hope. And if you read through this passage too fast, you'll miss it. It's kind of just like this thing that you'll, 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 go, to, you'll go by too fast and you'll really miss the point here. And it starts in verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. And here's the phrase I want to focus in on. Until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. You see, in the midst of suffering, the hope that James points to is the Lord's coming. And today I want to spend our time talking about the coming of Jesus and what that means for us. And I want to focus in on two aspects of that idea. You, you, you see, in Christian theology, there's this common phrase of already, not yet. Already, not yet. And it's, it's, it's often in reference to the kingdom of God and, and the idea that Jesus says, you know, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is among you now. Take a hold of it. But also at the same time, we understand that God's kingdom is not here in its fullness and, and that we, we wait for Jesus to return and for the kingdom to come in its wholeness. So it's this, it's the kingdom is already here, but it's, but it's not yet fully here. And so there's this already not yet idea. And it's the same idea with Jesus in his coming. And Jesus, when he's coming to us. And so, so the idea of already not yet is that Jesus is present with us now. And he is very, very, in a very real sense, present with us today. And Jesus is especially present when we are going through difficult times. But yet we look to the day that when Jesus will return in his fullness to this broken world, to this broken earth, to put it back together again. And, and, and so, so when I watch television and I, I watch the news and I see these things happening, like, like to our brothers and sisters in Boston, or, or just when I see those beautiful kiddos and their, their lives being taken in Newtown, or I just see all the, just the turmoil that's happening all over our earth, there's this guttural cry that comes out of me that says, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, like we need you to return, like things are not okay. And in this cry, it's, it's, it's not an escapist cry. I just want Jesus to come and just rapture me out of this place. It's, it's a cry that says, Jesus, I want you to come to this earth again, and I want you to establish your kingdom. Because how many of you know, like, heaven isn't really the end goal. You know, we are not going to abandon this earth. Scripture tells us is that the goal is for heaven to invade earth and that God is going to create a new earth and that he is going to put everything back together again. That Jesus is going to bring peace and he's going to bring justice and that all tongues and knee will bow and praise his name. And that is the goal is that God is coming back to this earth to put it back together again. And so I want to spend some time today I want to spend some time today talking about that idea of when we just cry out, come Lord Jesus. And so when I say come Lord Jesus, it's not, a, it's not a cry for his kingdom to come. It's not only a cry for his kingdom to come, but it's a very real cry of a child, you know, like, like just calling out to their father in the middle of the night to come and rescue them from like the monsters underneath their bed. It's just like, come Lord Jesus, I need you now in the midst of this troubled time. And so I want to spend some time looking at the present Jesus, the present Jesus that's coming to us today, and also the coming Jesus, who will return one day in his glory and power, and he'll make all things right. They are the same person. They are the exact same person and the same hope in the midst of suffering. And so the first thing we want to look at is the present Jesus. And the thing about Jesus, as he's hanging out with the disciples, he is consistently promising them that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even though it seems like I'm about to leave you and you're not going to see me eye to eye, 
I'm not going to leave you. And we're going to run through some scriptures here where Jesus just promises that he is present. The first one is Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. So no matter what you're facing, you can grab a hold of the truth that God is going with you. And that God is going before you and that he is fighting on your behalf. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. The next scripture I want to look at is John 14, 18. And I love this one. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's a promise that even when you're in the midst of all this rubble and all of the things that fall down around you and whatever is around the corner that you weren't quite expecting, Jesus here is promising you that you will not be left on your own. What is an orphan? An orphan is somebody who is a child who is helpless and who has been abandoned by their parents and they really, they really just don't have a lot of hope. And if, and if it isn't for other people intervening, that orphan most likely will starve and, and die or, or something awful will probably happen to them. But Jesus says, you will not be orphans because I am a good father who comes to you. I am a good father that meets you in the midst of your suffering and I will not leave you. And here is a psalm out of Psalm 34, 18. And this has been um, a comfort to me for years. And this is something I think about so often, and I, and I hope it encourages you. It says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. There's a there's, there's special relationship between, between our God and, and Jesus and, and those who, who find themselves in, in a broken situation. There's, there's something about, about broken hearts and, and, and brokenness that God just, he just zeroes in on, you know? It's just this, this idea that, that our Father, he's watching us. And, and, and if you're a parent and, and, and you have, and you have a, a few kids, but yet one kid is hurting incredibly, like, where does your focus go? It's going to go to that child who needs you the most right at that moment. And, and, and it's not that God chooses between us, but God knows he knows exactly what you're going through, and he is present with you. As a good father, he comes to you, and he is close to you in the most difficult times. And though that's hard to believe, and sometimes that's really hard to see, God is close to you in the, when, you are, when your heart just feels like it can't take it anymore. That's when God is the closest to you, even though that might be the hardest time to hear him or see him or feel him. I can guarantee you that he is with you face to face. But sometimes it's hard to see God in the midst of a storm. Sometimes God just seems so far off and so distant that you just can't, you just, you feel like he's so far and you just can't grasp a hold of him. And you just really, and sometimes it's easy to think like, God, you don't really understand. You don't really know what I'm going through here. But, but the thing is that he does, and there's this, this quote that I really love from a book called Drop Like Stars from Rob Bell, and he, and he says this, and I think it's fantastic. It's going to be up here, and it says, our tendency in the midst of suffering is to turn on God, to get angry and bitter and shake our fists at the sky and say, God, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much this hurts. 
Bell says. The cross is God's way of taking away all of our accusations, taking away all of our excuses and all of our arguments. The cross is God taking on flesh and blood and saying, me too. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 4 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Guys, we serve a God who has experienced life. We serve a God who has experienced all of the suffering that we face, all of the temptations that we face. We serve a God that chose to leave heaven, who chose to leave a throne and enter into life in obscurity as a poor baby, as an oppressed baby. And he chose to walk a life and to suffer so that we would not be alone and so that we would know that we have a God who understands exactly what we're going through. Do you know how amazing that is and how precious that is? That is literally what separates us from all the other faiths. This is the difference, is that our God decided to come and enter our suffering so that we could have hope and that we could have life in him. God meets us in the rubble. He meets us there. There's something as terrible as those times are in the rubble and in the intensity of suffering in life, there's something that happens where God meets us there in a very real way. Every time I've ever experienced suffering or, or hurt or heartache, I've had this very real, tangible, just very real presence of God with me. And, and I, don't, I don't really know how to explain it except for just that I, I honestly believe that God truly is present with the brokenhearted and and it, and it amazes me over and over again. And, and, and about a year ago, I experienced just epic heartbreak, like just epic heartbreak. And, and it, it really actually, you know, it, it did a lot to push me here and to, to end me up here where I feel like God was calling me. And there was this, I was in the midst of just great suffering. I was in a storm. And I, and I really couldn't see a lot of hope. And I just felt so alone and so broken. And I, and I really just... I don't know, I've never felt that intensity of despair before. And there was these moments all throughout that journey of getting out of that suffering and that, that heartache that there was just these moments where, where God would just show up and he would just whisper. He would just show up in whispers and he would, just, he would just whisper my name and he would just say, son, you are not alone. And, 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 and through all the doubts in my mind that were screaming and all the fears, just every once in a while, God's whisper would just, just make its way through all those doubts and all those anxieties. I was, uh, was at this conference, and, and I've, I've told some people this story before, and, and I, I walked into this conference, and there was this tag sitting on my, on my chair, and it was this scripture from John 14, 27, and it says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. And this is my favorite verse of all time. Like this was um, a, a big deal for me in, in understanding and accepting the gospel was this verse. And so for me to walk into this conference of thousands of seats and to sit down in this chair and for that verse to be sitting on my, on my chair, I was, I was blown away by that. It was just, it was God showing up in a whisper. And I was so thankful for that. Uh, one week later, um, I'm, I... 
am confronted with my heartache once again, and I'm, and I'm in a desperate spot, and, and, I, and I go to this church, and I'm, I'm sitting in this church, and I'm just in the back corner, and I'm, I'm just crying, you know, I'm just crying, I'm, I'm lost, and I don't know what to do, and, and the preacher's speaking, and, and, and he, just, he just stops, he stops mid-sermon, and he says, hey, um, Bill, uh, can you um, read that verse that you said God kept bringing to your mind um, throughout worship? And um, he just hands this guy in the crowd a microphone. And this guy stands up and he says, um, during, during worship, I just felt like God needed me to read this verse out loud for somebody. And he said, it's, uh, it's John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. And then he just said, I don't know why I was supposed to read that. Um, God just wanted me to read that for somebody. And the pastor said, yeah, that was supposed to happen. Had nothing to do with the sermon whatsoever. It totally killed the flow of the sermon. But God saw me in my need. He saw me in the rubble of what I was going through. And he said, hey, I'm going to show up for you. And I'm just going to remind you that, hey, you're my son. I'm here for you. Don't be afraid. Here is my peace. About a month later, I show up here in, in, in Jacksonville. And we're on a staff retreat. And and uh, Caleb was going to lead our morning devotion, and he just said he was going to um, read whatever today's uh, devotion was out of um, my utmost for my highest, I think. And, 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 he, and he opens the thing, and, and I just told him the story the night before over communion, and, and he just looks at me and he goes, bro, you're not going to believe what the verse is for today. And it was, he said, John 14, 27, and, and I was just blown away by that. And it was just God continuing a promise that says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm close to you when you're brokenhearted. And then, so then I want to move on to the idea that Jesus is coming, that he's returning to us. Not only is he present with us now in the time of suffering, but he is coming to put all things back together again. And I'm just going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 real fast. They're talking about death and, and, and the idea of that suffering and, and, and our hope even when we're losing people. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we will tell you that we will tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so James tells us, be patient. Persevere through this time because, because there is hope. Our Jesus, he is coming back to this earth. And when you see the news and you see all the brokenness in our earth and, and it just hurts our hearts, remember, remember that Jesus is present with you and he is present with those who are suffering in a very real sense. But also remember that he is coming he is coming to bring peace. He is coming to bring justice. And so Thessalonians here, it says, encourage one another with these words. I believe we do not encourage each other enough with this truth, that this is not our final reality. No matter what darkness we face, no matter what storm we are facing, this is not our final reality. It will not always be this way.
no matter what you're facing, it will not always be this way. Our God is making all things new. He takes really bad stuff, really awful, terrible stuff, and he is making all things new. That's what Revelation tells us, that he who is seated on the throne, our God who is in control and who is on the throne, he is making everything new. This broken world is being put back together again. And Jesus is coming back in his fullness and he's bringing peace and he's bringing justice and he's bringing an end to suffering. That's our hope. That God is bringing bringing an end to all suffering. And and, and you may ask, like, do you really believe that, Jesse? It just kind of sounds like a fairy tale that we just say that, you know, that helps us sleep at night. Do you really believe that? It just sounds you know, too good to be true. It's just, come on, man. Like, use your mind. But man, I believe it with all my heart because I've experienced it. Because I've experienced the present Jesus here and now. I know that I can look to the day that when he will return and that he'll take broken hearts and he'll take brokenness and he'll take death And he'll take all of the bad stuff and he'll just say, no more. Satan, you are defeated. For my blood and my gift of my cross covers all of this. And I'm coming back for my kids. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, do we really trust Jesus? Do we really trust him that, that, that he's, that he's going to be present with us when we need him? And do we really trust him that he's going to return one day and, and put this broken world back together again? You know, we kind of got to get to that point where we, where we trust him. And, and that's really difficult. There's a story that I love of, of a hymn, and you're probably all familiar with it for the most part. It is well. It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford, he was in Chicago, and he was a businessman, and, and great, the great fire of Chicago went across Chicago, and it destroyed all of, his, all of his buildings, and he lost everything, and he had a family with young girls. And so they were trying to recover financially, and he decided, okay, I'm going to move my family to England. And, and so he had some business to take care of, and he, and he sent his wife and his girls on to go to England. And, and, and as they're on this ship, there's a horrible shipwreck, and the ship goes down. And uh, only his wife survives, and, and um, she, she gets to England, and she sends a telegram to Horatio and says, Saved alone, what shall I do? They lost everything. They lost their most precious possession, their girls. And uh, Horatio travels on a ship to, 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 to go meet his wife and to just... Um, figure out what's next and to mourn the loss of their girls. And, and, and as they're on the ship, the captain comes to Horatio and says, do you, do you want to see where the ship went down? And so Horatio said, yeah. And he, and he comes out onto the deck. And, and, and as, he, as he looks out over the sea where, where somewhere his girls are far beneath him, he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, 
though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. (laughs) And I don't know how you get to that place of such suffering and loss that you can just say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust that you are good. And And I don't know how you can take it sometimes. I don't know how you can look down and see your kids hurting so badly. And I don't, and because I know you're strong and I, and I know you're in control of all things and, and I just, sometimes to be honest with you, I just, I don't get it. And I said, Jesus, where are you? Like, why would you let that happen? And I know you've all felt that before. But let me tell you something. Even in the midst of that, even in the midst of doubts and questions, He's so good. He is so good. And whether you feel it tonight or not, he is present with you now, and he is fighting for you. Our God is fighting for you, and he's making all things new. No matter what you're facing, he is putting it back together again. He's putting it back together again. On each one of your chairs, we're about to do a, um, we're about to going to do something together. There's a note card. If you guys will find it, there's a pen and a note card. Um, how many of you in here are right-handed? Let me see hands. Right-handed. How many of you are left-handed? All right, we got, all right, we got a few. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, if you're right-handed, I want you to take your left hand. If you're left-handed, I want you to take your right hand. And what I want you to do is I want you to write with your undominant hand, I know how it feels. Okay? With your, you know, it's going to be ugly. It's okay. I want you to write, I know how it feels. I'll give you a moment to do that. How's it going? Is it hard? It's harder than you thought, right? Some of you in here are probably ambidextrous and you're just like, whatever, this is easy. All right, so what we're about to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out some things. And if, if you've experienced these things, if you're comfortable, I don't want to pressure anybody to revealing too much. But if you're comfortable and when I call out a certain thing, if, if, if you've experienced that before or you know that feeling, I would like you to stand up. So we're going we're gonna to start. We'll start easy. Well, this isn't easy. It's one of the hardest things. Have you ever had your heart broken by somebody? If you have, stand up. All right. Now I want you to look around and, and I want you to find somebody who's standing and I want you to swap cards with them that says, I know how it feels. All right, and then once you've swapped cards, I want you to sit back down. How many of you have ever felt betrayed by somebody? Should stand up. Do the same thing. Change cards with somebody and say, I know how it feels. 
When you're done, you can sit down. How many of you have known somebody or had a loved one who's had cancer? I want you to stand up. Trade cards with somebody and say, I know how it feels. Then sit down when you're done. How many of you in the house have, have lost somebody and they died and you miss them more than anything? Stand up, look around, say, I know how it feels. I could go on all day, y'all. And the reason I did this is I just want you to know that not only is God present with you, and not only do we have hope that our God is returning, but you're not alone. You are not alone. No matter how alone you feel, you're not alone. There are people in this room that have experienced the exact same thing you have. And you don't have to go through that suffering alone. We believe that this is to be a community that isn't afraid of suffering. We want to walk through you, walk with you through it. So I'm going to ask one more thing. If you find yourself right now in the midst of a storm, in the midst of suffering right now, you're having a hard time, or you have a loved one who is going through an incredibly difficult time, I would like for you to stand up. Go ahead and swap cards with somebody. Say, I know how it feels. All right, now I would like you to stay standing. I'm going to ask that those of you around these people, if you, would, if you would gather around them, if you feel comfortable, and if you don't feel comfortable being prayed for, you can sit down. I don't, I don't want to pressure anybody. But I want you to look around and, and see the people who are standing and who are going through a storm right now. And I, and, I, and I would like for you to go and if you feel comfortable to place hands on them and begin to pray for them. Pray that they would see the presence of God in their life in the midst of suffering. Okay, so if you guys would do that now, just gather around those people who are standing and we're going to pray. And I, and I, and I want to read something over you right now. There's this book, it's called The Furious Longing of God. And uh, the kind of subtitle on the back says, A Love Story for the Brokenhearted. And um, Manning believes, and, and he, he quotes this scholar, Pierre Winois. He said that be- he believed that the Father, when Jesus was on the cross, that the Abba Father of Jesus spoke to his son as he hung nailed, naked to the wood, with spit dripping down his face, his body bathed in blood, and he believes that the words the Abba Father spoke were, were the words from the Hebrew Scripture, from the Song of Songs. And I, and I, and I want to read this over you because I believe that Jesus is speaking it to you now. And, and Manning believes that the Father spoke this to Jesus as he hung on the cross, as Jesus was suffering at his most, in his most intense time when he's, when he's taking our sin upon himself. This is what Manning believes God spoke over Jesus, and I believe Jesus is speaking it to you now. In the Song of Songs 2, chapter 2, 10 through 14. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs have come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Let me see your face 
and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. And I'm speaking over you today that the winter has passed and that you will persevere through this. You will persevere through this suffering. You will persevere through this storm and that there is hope and it will not always be like this. So I want you to start praying for the people that you're surrounded right now. And I want you to pray fiercely that they would experience the presence of God. So let's pray.